Welcome to the Crosslands Church Podcast, our mission to help you experience the life with God you've been missing. And now, a message for you. I have a friend whose children are in school, and he was telling me that uh, in one of his kids' classes, there's a girl who has uh, a mom and a dad who are both involved in her life, but they've never been in a relationship with each other for more than a weekend. And for some people in our culture, that idea comes as shocking. And for other people, they go, okay, yeah, so? And, and that's one indication of how our culture has shifted and how our culture is shifting. See, because I think all of us recognize that our identity comes from our family. The big question is that family doesn't mean what it used to mean. And families, the, the, the individual family union has become increasingly fragmented over time. Fragmented families characterize today's culture. And so in the question of identity, what is the message of Jesus in a culture where the family is fragmented? And that's what we're talking about in the series. Who are you? Our culture has run out of solid answers to give people to answer that question. And I believe that the message of Jesus has better tools to offer. And so today we're talking about family. When my kids were young, somebody gave us a a gift for Christmas. They gave the kids a gift for Christmas. And it was, uh, I think it was a Disney movie. And it was one of our least favorite Disney movies. It was Lilo and Stitch. And uh, it's mostly because Stitch was not a really great character for our kids to emulate. But at the center, at the core of the movie was the phrase, Ohana means family. And so you have an older sister, younger sister living on their own, and they bring this third character into their family, and they decide that this is who their family is. Ohana means family. There is a... British-American anthropologist back in the 40s, he, he said this. He, he, was, um, he was one of the first people to really popularize the, idea, the ideas of, of, of gender and race. Uh, he was uh, very influential. Uh, he taught at, at uh, Harvard and Princeton, among many other universities in the United States. And he said this, the family is the basis of society. As the family is, so is the society. And it is human beings who make a family. Not the quantity of them, but the quality of them. The family is the basis of society, and we live in a culture where families are increasingly fragmented. So here's how the modern approach, the modern message of Christianity deals with that. And by postmodern, or by modern, I mean not postmodern. So the modern movement of the church was to affirm and support the nuclear traditional biological family. Entire ministries were developed to support and affirm the traditional family. There is a problem with that because as families have fragmented and the the traditional nuclear family is affirmed, the problem is that family isn't what it used to be. And for many people, you only have to look at Christmas or Thanksgiving to see this manifested. Who's at dinner? How many dinners do you have? We, our, our, our families are, are uh, they're, they're mixed, they're broken. Some families are abusive. And yet the modern church is saying we want to affirm the traditional nuclear family. And then people that don't have that are intentionally or unintentionally ostracized. We had a girl in our youth group years and years ago when I was youth pastor here. And uh, her family came from another church. And her parents had divorced and remarried. And this girl was in my youth group, and she said this. 
In my other youth group, I was ostracized because my parents divorced. Can you imagine that? In our, in our attempt to affirm the traditional nuclear bio biological family, we alienate people that don't have that. And that has been the modern approach to family, and it's no wonder many of our postmodern people are saying, I don't want that. When the, in the postmodern view, when your family fragments, you choose your own family. You decide who's in your family. When you, can, you only have to look at, here's one thing that surprises me. The most popular sitcom throughout the 90s was the show Friends. And what surprises me is that it's still popular. People are still watching it. Younger people, people that weren't born when the show started, are still watching that show because there's something about these six people that are living together as a family, that identify with one another as committed friends, that really appeals to them. And it's, it's not the only one. You see the same thing in Big Bang Theory. You see the same thing in, in New Girl. There's a whole bunch of shows. I mean, the Cosbys are a long time ago now. Maybe a good thing because of Bill's old, you know, anyway, we're not going to touch that. Um, but the shows back then, sitcoms were based around families. And now they're based on families that are formed outside of biological lines. That's the culture we live in. So to that culture, what does Jesus say? And you might be surprised. When I was really young, okay, I'll, I'll tell you a little story. I'm in bed early because I mouthed off to my parents. They sent me to bed early. And I'm lying in bed thinking, this probably happened more than once. Wish this wasn't my real family. If only my real family would come and claim me. Because my real family is probably better than this. I think I was adopted. I was a kid that asked their parents, am I adopted? They said, no, nobody else would take you. That's oh, just a joke. Okay. But there's a, there's, a, there's a sense of an ideal family that's beyond what any of us experience, no matter how good your family is. Romans 8 verse 15 says, I'm going to look at a few different passages in Scripture. Romans 8 verse 15 says, So you have not received a spirit that makes you fearful slaves. Instead, you received God's spirit when he adopted you as his own children. Now we call him Abba Father. The word Abba is an Aramaic word that is, 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 was put into the text that, that is, a, is a term of affection and respect. Okay? It's, it's not quite as casual as daddy, but it's certainly more intimate than father. We call him Abba. We've been adopted into his family. In that culture, when your child was born, if you were a Roman, when your child was born, you would affirm them as a family member one or two years after they were born. Probably it had something to do with infant mortality rates. We look at the average lifespan of a human being throughout history and we see that it's gone up. It, it's not that, you're, that people just live longer. The average lifespan is impacted by infant mortality rates. So the average lifespan has, got, has been down through most of history because most children, or not most, but a significant number of children wouldn't survive past the age of two. So in Roman culture, if you survived that time where you go, okay, this one's going to take, at that point they would be named and adopted into the family. We're naming our children and acknowledging them as our children before they're even born. And that's not a bad thing. But in that culture, you're adopted after the fact. And God is saying here, Paul, the person who wrote this, you've not received a spirit that makes you fearful slaves. You received God's spirit when he adopted you as his own children. The one thing that we do struggle with, everybody, whether modern or postmodern, 
Without approval from your parents, we, it leads to drivenness and to burnout, lack of health. And God is the paradigm of the perfect parent. Maybe you had good parents, maybe you didn't, maybe you don't know your parents, your biological parents. Whoever your parents are, God is the perfect parent, of which even the best parents in this world are but a, a pale shadow. And God, is, his intention is to have human beings adopted into his family. Ephesians 1.5 says, God decided in advance to adopt us into his own family by bringing us to himself through Jesus Christ. That is what he wanted to do, and it gave him great pleasure. In a culture where people say, families are fragmented, you choose your own family, the message of Jesus is God chooses you for his family. Even before you are born, he made you to be part of his family. God's intention is for human beings to be brought into his family, and, and, and that happens as we place our trust in Jesus. Our, the Bible uses the word faith, but that's a word that has been distorted over time. It's come to mean um, not rational, and, and that isn't really what it means. The biblical concept has to do with, with allegiance and trust. When we place our allegiance in Jesus as the means, we are automatically adopted into God's family. So it's not that we choose our family, it's that we are chosen for family. That's the message of Jesus. So in the big questions, how do I find my family? How do I choose my family? How do I relate to those close to me? In a culture where family, where identity is found in chosen family, Jesus offers an adoption into God's family. That's how it works. There's a, a biblical scholar, very influential in the world today, his name is Scott McKnight, and he says the New Testament's primary language for the church is not saints, it's not church, it's not even bride of Christ or fellowship or association. That was a really big word in Roman culture and in Jewish culture, where an association of friends, where people with, with, with common interests and common mind would associate themselves with one another. No, the, the, none of those are the, the most obvious and most common term for followers of Jesus. The most common term is brothers, which would mean both male and female in most cases. The word brothers appears in Paul's letters 127 times and over 300 times in the New Testament as a whole, and as well as the word sisters, which Paul only uses six times, and the New Testament as a whole 26 times. Because most times in your translation, when you see brothers and sisters, it's a translation of the word brothers. And, and there's very good reason to understand why, and you'll see a passage in a second that, that, that demonstrates that, why it refers to both men and women in equality. Because the primary metaphor for God's people in the New Testament is family. The primary metaphor for God's people is family. Matthew 12, 48 to 50, Jesus is on his mission, he's preaching, and people challenge him and say, your mother and brothers are here for you. And he says, Jesus asked, who is my mother? Who are my brothers? Then he pointed to his disciples and said, look, these are my mother and brothers. Anyone who does the will of my father in heaven is my brother and my sister and mother. Imagine if, if you were at a, at a family reunion, whatever that looks like these days, and um, somebody identifies you as, as their brother or sister, and you say, no, you're not my brother. These people over here are. My friends are my real family. Imagine how that would go over. As, as, as bad as that would go over, in that culture, it was far more shocking because your identity was locked into your biological family, not just your immediate family, but your uncles and aunts and grandparents. And all. That's who you are. And in that context, Jesus says, these my biological family aren't my real family. 
My real family are these people here, the ones that are doing my will. The, Tom Holland, not, not Spider-Man Tom Holland, but the historian Tom Holland, um, he's done a lot of study on the early church, and he says that, that early Christianity was threatening to its surrounding culture because it would be like if, if somebody became one of these followers of Jesus and became associated with them, it would be like today if, if someone left your family to join an Islamic jihad cult. That's what it would be like. You are, you are saying, you are saying, rejecting your own family for this splinter group that they saw as a threat to society. It was a big deal. So in the first century, when people would become a follower of Jesus, many times they would be ostracized from their family. They would be cut off from their family. You don't belong to us anymore. And, and it's not like you have welfare, social security. And so they would become associated with these followers of Jesus, where they would live as family. They would support one another financially. If somebody needed a job, you'd get, a, get them a job. And, and this is why they were so concerned about caring for the poor, because most of them were poor. That's where it, that was the basis of it. It's, it's, it's recognizing each other as brothers and sisters adopted into God's family. That kind of care. God adopts us into a family that transcends biological lines. We had a conversation in our... Um, Grow character group, I think it was, I think it was this past week, and somebody the topic came up, what's my obligation to my family? Like it's really difficult, my biological family. And what we've done in the church, because of the modern influence, is we have elevated biological family far beyond God's intention, where we we have a, an obligation to our biological family that transacts of God's family, and that's not the way it's supposed to be. It's this is countercultural. This is where our modern Christian approach actually gets it wrong, and the postmodernism get, gets it right. We are called to be family to one another over and beyond our biological family. And I'm just waiting for people to get up and walk out. This is the message of Scripture. Who are my mothers and my brothers? When biological family identity has disintegrated, Jesus offers family identity. That's what he offers. Remember a, a couple of weeks ago we had the message about, are you identified by your biology? No. You're not primarily identified by your biology, but neither are we identified by our biological family. Now, that may have a huge positive impact for you if all of your biological family are followers of Jesus. That's wonderful. But if not, you have a family available to you. This is the way God's people are supposed to work. We're not defined biologically, whether individually or in our families. Galatians 3, 26, 28, and this is a foundational verse for how the church is supposed to operate. Paul writes this letter to one of the early churches. He says, for you are all children. The original word says sons. Okay, so keep in mind that there's a masculine word there. You are all children. You are all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. There's that allegiance. All who have been united with Christ in baptism have put on Christ like put on clothes. There is no longer Jew or Gentile, slave or free, Male and female, so this is where the female is included in the sons. This is why it's appropriate to translate it children. There's no longer Jew or Gentile, slave or free, male and female. You are all one in Christ Jesus. That's a profound message that says we are all equal in the family. Not one higher, one lower. Some people matter, some people don't. And this was actually lived out in the early church in a way that was profoundly dramatic from the culture around them. What our culture is struggling to put in place, quality, Diversity, inclusion. The early church was doing that 2,000 years ago. Man, woman, Jew, Gentile, 
different social status. The early church was seen as a threat to culture. One of the reasons was because they were mixing social classes, and you don't do that. You don't have slaves eating with rich people. That was one of the accusations. They transcended social strata. Enslaved people had very little claim to their own biological family because they were owned by somebody else. They had very little claim to autonomy. They were, they were treated like property, sexually abused. But in the church, they were equal with everyone else, whether man or woman, adult, child, Jewish, non-Jewish, slave or free, rich or poor. Jesus says you are invited to accept adoption into God's family, a united, diverse, inclusive family that transcends biological connections. Remember when Crossland's Church was really new, uh, like almost 20 years ago, and, and we had a guy in the church, nice guy, but every week he would call me Brother Fred. Irritated me. Because... The, I think that started with good intention, like a hundred years ago. Brother Fred, Sister Mary, and the idea is we're acknowledging that we're all family. But finally I said to him, listen, I have two brothers and I don't call either of them brother by their name. We don't do that. It just feels very forced. right? I understand the intention, but it feels forced, it feels fake. So we don't have to be fake about it. We treat each other like we're brothers and sisters. Because that's what we are in Christ. Equal. You don't have to put a, a little term on it that feels formal or whatever. Anyway, it bothered me. If it doesn't bother you, that's fine. I probably won't call you brother or sister or whatever. It's, it's 2021. This is the first year in almost 20 years that I did not buy an annual baseball magazine. Every year, I buy my magazine. Why wouldn't I buy it this year? Well, last year I bought one. It was mostly obsolete because, I mean, they... Barely played, right? But I looked at the magazine this year on the magazine rack, and they give a rundown for every team. And of course, I started with the Toronto Blue Jays, and they talked about who was playing in the outfield. Luis Gurriel, Oscar Hernandez, Randall Gritchick. And I read that, and I said, where's George Springer? Because the, Ju the Jays made one of the biggest signings this offseason. They signed George Springer to be an outfielder for $150 million dollar contract over a few years. Wouldn't mind a little piece of that. But they didn't have it in the magazine because the magazine was published too early. So it's obsolete. The rankings, the description of the team, it doesn't fit reality. That's what we've done with our modern Christianity. Our culture has moved on, and much of the church in North America has not. And we're still answering people the, the, the guilt forgiveness heaven question, and they're not asking that question. They're asking the question, who am I? And they're asking, part of that is, what does family mean? And if we keep telling them the only thing that matters is your nuclear traditional biological family, we will alienate people from the real message. Our ministries have, have alienated those from non-traditional families. But your dysfunctional biological family doesn't define you. Your place in God's family does. This is what postmodernism gets right. Non-biological family trumps biological family. And that echoes the message of Jesus. What Christianity, what the message of Jesus corrects about that is that we don't choose, we have been chosen. I mean, do we ignore family breakdown? Do we not address it? Absolutely not. As, as the church, we should be affirming healthy family, but that's a second-order problem. 
The first order problem is, are you part of God's family yet? You are invited, even if your family's a mess. Even if your family has abandoned you, even if your family has treated you like dirt, God wants you in his family. And this is where we express it. This is where we live it out. What a, what a message to people that are asking the identity question in our culture. The primary issue is welcoming people into God's family. It's part of our mission, part of our job here. It's one of the ways to answer the identity question. My, my phone is uh, buzzing up a storm in my pocket. Um, amen, great service, Brother Fred. Yeah, thank you. Uh, can you clarify a bit more your point about putting our church family before biological family? Did I hear that correctly? Yes, you heard that. What does that look like practically? What if your biological family doesn't know Jesus? If your biological family doesn't know Jesus, there's an element of, um, we have an expectation of trust to our biological family. That, that There's an expectation placed on us. And, and, and what that means is that the, the expectation of your biological family isn't, isn't the same as your as, as your own family. Now, if, you're, if you have children, you're obligated to your children as, as a parent. This is God's model for all of creation. There is no justification for saying, well, I'm a Christian now, so I'm abandoning my children. Absolutely not. Paul gives practical uh, advice about, okay, so if you're married to somebody, you become a follower of Jesus, and if your non-Christian spouse will honor that in your relationship and want to stay married to you, you stay married to them. That's what you do, because you, you bring God's blessing to your household, even to that person in that context. But if your spouse says, I don't want to have anything to do with you because you're a follower of Jesus, consider the context of the first century, right? Where all of a sudden you're ostracized from family. In, in, in every local home, there tended to be uh, the worship of local deities, little statues and stuff like that, the, the honoring of, of pagan deities. W will your spouse honor your worship of Jesus in that? Right? So uh, the obligation... Here's where I think it really, really starts to happen. Um, culture throughout most of the world, throughout most of history, has placed an obligation on people to their extended family. You marry, you have children, but you're still expected to, to uh, maintain obligations to brothers and sisters, distance, parents and all of that. We always have an obligation to honor our parents. But there's a point at which God, um, God's family comes, comes first to the extended family, the one that's, that's beyond you. And, and this is where it, be, it gets divisive. This is where it gets challenging. So what does that exactly look, out, look like in your situation? Well, I don't really have an answer for that, but I know who does. You ask for the Holy Spirit's guidance. So we, we honor God's expectations upon us more than other people. And this is... This is, this is really challenging. I mean, this is, the church has not said this for 100 years. Of course, the family hasn't been fragmenting or has been fragmenting over the past 100 years. Um, okay, more time. I, I don't know if I answered that question appropriately. If I didn't, send me another text message and say, you didn't answer that question enough. So, uh, As the lone follower of Jesus in my family, I feel an obligation to show how much God loves them without actually speaking those words because they don't want to hear it. Made more difficult with distance, but God can bridge any boundary. Right, so if, you're, if your biological family that you don't live with are not followers of Jesus, there's opportunity there to demonstrate God's love for them. You don't abandon them to that. But it's different than the, the obligation to care for one another, particularly those in the family of God 
that have been rejected or treated poorly by their own family, right? So if, if we take our, if, if I say my obligation is to my brother who lives far away instead of somebody in the, this church who has a significant need, there may be a problem there. I hope that brings some clarity. Um, such a needed message, our granddaughter Shai was, sorry, I did, shouldn't have mentioned the name, uh, was ostracized by others in the church family. It was awful. Let's love. Uh, it is really, is, is it really being, is it, sorry, is it really one being more important than the other or one as important the, as the other? Also, the nuclear family as a primary unit is a cultural concept. Around the world and in our multicultural context today, family is the extended family. God over people is the big point, not church over family. The, the only thing is you, you can't get away from Jesus saying, these are my brothers and sisters. And he even goes farther to say, anyone who does not hate his mother, father, brother, sister, even wife and children over me. Now, that's a, he doesn't, I've never met a commentator or scholar that says he literally means hate. It's a comparative. Jesus comes first over the people in our lives that we can idolize, biological family. So Jesus comes first. So yes, but in the Jesus coming first, we need to um, obey him in how to treat his family. And, and that's where it's not simple. It does get tricky. Um, Yeah, I, I, I think I'm opening a can of worms here, but I am going with what, what Jesus and the New Testament is saying. And so how do we actually live that out? I think that my, my primary purpose in the message is to understand how to answer the question to people in the culture around us. That's the primary purpose in the message. We can, we, we, we can through prayer, we can work out, okay, how do I actually live this out but the point is to answer the question to those around us who have the question about who, I don't have a good family, or I don't have a family at all. There's a family available for you. Uh, last one. Last week, I stepped out of my role at work and approached a fellow employee to pray a blessing over his wife and future baby due this week. For a few minutes as our eyes met and he accepted my offering a blessing, I felt so close. Like family, it was it's got some quotes in the text. And, and we can have that, that experience. Um, there's a verse in Proverbs that says, there's a friend that sticks closer than a brother. And all my life I've heard that. I said, well, that's Jesus. Jesus is the friend that sticks closer than the brother. But I believe we're called to be that to one another. It's a proverb. It, it, it's not specifically directly referring to Jesus. We are called to be that to one another, especially when there's somebody in our spiritual family that's going through a rough time. And that's where the rubber hits the road, both internally and externally. I want to address those now that aren't part of God's family. And maybe you've never heard this message before. Maybe you come from a, a, a family that is, that is mixed or broken or even abusive. And you say, I, I don't know the experience of family. I don't understand. Like I choose my friends and they're like family to me. But I've never before heard that God wants me to be part of his family. God made you. He chose you to be part of his family before you were even made before you were a glint in your father or mother's eye. God knew you were going to be, and he wants you in his family. So how do you do it? I talked earlier about we enter, we accept the adoption through trust in Jesus. See, the, the, the way into God's family, um, the, the, sort of the, 
the manifestation of God's family on earth was blocked um, by the ever-present evil in the world. This is also present in each one of us. And so the whole point of Jesus going to the cross, Jesus rising from the dead, was to break that power. And so to access it, it's as simple as ABC. A is admit your need. I don't know who I am because I don't know who my family is. And I need to be part of God's family. B is believe. And that's that trust, that allegiance in Jesus who made the way possible through his death and resurrection. You don't have to understand all of the nuance of that to say yes. And C is the saying yes. C is commit. So I'm going to find my identity in God's family. I'm saying yes to God's offer of adoption. And if this is something that you want to do today, I just want to lead you in a prayer. And it's simple as this. You can borrow my words, say them after me, whatever. Father in heaven, I thank you for choosing me before I was even born. I thank you for your offer of adoption into your family. I want to say yes to you today. I admit my need. I'm choosing to believe, to trust in Jesus. And I'm committing myself to you today. Thank you for welcoming me into your family. Amen. And if this is a decision you are making today for the first time, I, please connect with us. Go on to crosslands.live, click the follow Jesus button, and give us your contact info because this is the beginning of a, because this is how you first have to get involved in the family of which you're now a part. And we want to help you, we want to, we want to help you with your spiritual journey, to, to grow, to move forward, to become who God made you to be in his family. I, I think that the message today has sort of three audiences, okay? The first is those who may be a little bit older. You're part of modern culture. And maybe you, you struggle or even feel a bit threatened by all the cultural changes that are having that are really difficult to understand. And so in part, this message sort of gives you a little bit of clarity about how things have changed, why they're changing, and, 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 and what that's all about. Maybe you're part of a younger culture, and maybe you're thinking, I've, I've had those questions about family and identity. I've, I've been struggling to find out who I am, and yeah, the past couple of messages have, have helped, but, but understanding the family identity only helps. But the third purpose of the message, and this is the one that, that I, I don't want you to walk away missing. If you remember one thing today, is this, this is part of the answer to the question people have about identity. The people around you in our culture that don't know Jesus, they need the offer to be adopted into his family, the family of the perfect parent that is truly diverse and inclusive and equal. And so as much as we might struggle, well, I'm not sure where I am with the, you know, what's my obligation to my biological family? What's my obligation to my spiritual family? The point is to be able to make the offer of adoption to people that, are not, that don't know Jesus. That's the whole point. When we walk away from the service today, that's when we're on mission. Whether you're turning off your TV or walking out the doors here, you're on mission. Keep your eyes open, keep your ears open for somebody that's asking the question, I don't know who I am and how do I find out? Part of the answer is God wants to adopt you into his family. He is the perfect parent, the one you've always needed. Let's pray. Father, I thank you that you are a perfect parent. That whatever our family experience, 
you just do so much better. I thank you for the offer to be adopted into family. Thank you that you love us as we are. We don't have to do anything to earn your love. But that you also give us the means to improve, to, to become the children that truly reflect who you are as our parent. I pray that you would help us both to live that out and to be able to effectively communicate to those in the world around us that desperately need you. I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. You've been listening to the Crosslands Church Podcast. Be sure to subscribe on iTunes or the Google Play Store so that it comes straight to your device. And to find out more about Crosslands Church, you can visit us at crosslands.ca. Join us next week for another message to help you experience the life with God you've been missing.